welcome back. It is Sue here and welcome to another of our Learn With Sue Walk and Talk podcasts. And this is the place, as you know, where we talk about all things science of emotions, positive psychology, flourishing, and about being the best we can be. And as we often do, this is an opportunity to eavesdrop on a chat uh, with myself. And I'm going to put, uh, Jill, I'm going to put you in the colleague of friend, uh, because although Jill, Doctor, and I used to work together many, many years ago, uh, I consider us now a friend that unfortunately I don't get to see very often. Um, but Jill, welcome to our Learn With Sue Walk and Talk podcast. Thank you, Sue. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> well, you and I have known each other for a long time. Um, and for everybody listening, um, Jill and I originally met way before I started uh, the, the Langley Group business as it is now, when we both worked at Traveland, which Ooh. was owned by Ansett. And, uh, and I think, I'm not sure whether you agree with me, I think we kind of became firm friends very, very quickly around our work and the things we were doing and the projects we were working on. Um, and then we've sort of kept in touch ever since um, and shared various evenings at the ballet and various other things together. Um, but for those people listening, how would you describe yourself? What, who are you? Who is Jill? Oh, that's quite difficult, Sue. So <laughs> I'd start with a tough question. <laughs> um, so let's say I'm at the stage of my life where I have no desire to have a career. I like having casual jobs that I have no responsibility other than going and doing the very best I can, preferably with young people. I love being around young people. Um, and then coming home at the end of it and going to the theatre or whatever. <laughs> um, that sounds awesome. <laughs> and having enough time in my life to go to the gym, to walk, and to take a few months each year to go traveling. Mm. And I'm going to pick up on that first, because um, obviously you and I met when we were in the travel industry and you've spent a bit of time in various roles in the travel industry and still uh, do your casual work in uh, the travel industry. So I know we both have a passion for it. Um, but one of the things, and I think everybody should know this about you, that I hugely admire, and for me it's also the huge benefit of social media, is your travels. And I get to see all the amazing places you've been to because I love to travel but you are one of the most adventurous people that I know with your travel um, and I love all the places you've been to so what is it first of all from a travel perspective that that you love why why do you travel so much and then we'll talk about best places um why do I travel so much well I travel because it's a big world and it's full of interesting people and fabulous sights and mountains to climb. I love climbing, not massive ones, but I love climbing mountains. Um, I love the, I love observing people in other countries and seeing how they live their lives, what their life is all about. Um, and just, being a part of them and hopefully getting to know them. But yeah, it's the people and the cultures yeah. mainly, I guess. I love walking around new places. Not, you know, let's say I go to, um, oh, I don't know, Seville. So in some of these uh, 
things you read that tells you the 10 not to be missed sites in Seville. Yep. But I can guarantee I would probably not go to them first up. First up, I would just wander and see how people live their lives. And that's always fascinated me. Yeah. And then coming across, I don't know, um, places that tourists don't go that really are part of the local scene rather than the tourist attractions. Yeah. And yeah. I understand what you mean, because I don't think I'm as venturous as you are. But I know sometimes uh, the first time David and I went to Venice, it wasn't until we came home that we realised we hadn't actually done most of the things they said to do in Venice. We would just walked. And every time we yeah. saw a little alleyway, we'd go down it and then we'd go down yes. it and then we'd go down it until we got lost. Um, yeah. And it's then that you sometimes come across some of the most unique and special places. Definitely, definitely. And you find a little cafe and you sit down and people are so nice. Can I tell you? a story please which really for me just um I don't know just what's the word just confirms all this stuff I feel about traveling so I as you as you know Sue I taught English in the Republic of Georgia for mm. about four months and Georgia is absolutely fabulous with fabulous people and the reason I went there is because of I'd been through there on a previous trip and just Loved the craziness of it. And Tbilisi kind of reminded me of Edinburgh. Anyway, I was living in this uh, town outside Tbilisi and it was a Soviet built chemical industry town. So it wasn't the prettiest place in the world. But of course, <laughs> it's not what it looks like. It's what's inside the tenement buildings that, you know, are the amazing things. So me and a couple of other teachers planned to go to Armenia for Easter weekend and the father of the family that I was living with said to me no 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 Joe you must not go Armenian no Georgian <laughs> Armenian no do not go and I went oh I'll be fine anyway we got a taxi to Armenia because it didn't cost hardly anything and the taxi drew up and the girl I was with was looking for something so we all got out it was really hot we stepped out the car and we were standing at the side of the road and out of a taxi box you know we these boxes where you can book taxis mm -hmm. little hot things yeah this man came out and he said oh very hot and we went yeah we're fine we're just waiting he said one minute and he rushed inside and brought us all uh, pomegranate juice oh. to drink while we waited in the shade. But Armenia was meant to be no. <laughs> Armenia was supposed to be full of dangerous bandits who couldn't care less about us. And I went, you know what? You should never believe anything you hear because in my experience, everybody is hospitable. Like 99% of people are hospitable, lovely, willing to help. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's interesting because yeah. in one of our Lomacy sessions, we actually talked about the work that Robert Biswastina did uh, globally around hospitality and which countries are more hospitable. And I think to your point, we often hear the one-off dangerous stories of things that happen, and that's what we regale our friends with when we come home. And yet yeah. nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, 
there are these amazing interactions that we have with people every day. Um, yeah, yeah. So thinking about that, because obviously Georgia was a, a big chunk of time, like you say, four months teaching English as a second language, and you'd been there before. You, I think you've been to amazing places. You've traveled on your own, literally from like the Silk Road all the way through from Beijing through Kazakhstan and Kurdistan and a whole bunch of other stands. You often go to out of the way places. What's been some of your most amazing experiences that have shaped you? Well, I think Georgia, teaching in Georgia definitely did because, um, uh, you know, you read about culture shock and everybody thinks they don't get it. But actually, living there, I would say I got it. I accepted it. I came to terms with it. And then I loved it, you know. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a beautiful country. And with such incredibly sad stories, that was really one of the main things. Mm. Yeah. Because of the history of the country, I guess, that has affected mm -hmm. how people live their lives and, you know. Yeah. So there's Georgia and all the uh, countries in the Caucasus region. I love them all. I, as you know, I love Vietnam. Yes. I haven't been for too long and I am yearning to go back. <laughs> so I'm hoping to go back in the not too distant future and do some English teaching there. Yeah. Um, where else is fabulous? I'll come back to Vietnam in a moment. But yes, where else? Where uh, else you? I love Central Asia and the Middle East. Um, I love the stands, <laughs> you know, like Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, all of that lot. Um, it, it's, they're so crazy and they're so different. Mm. And you read an article on them in the newspaper <laughs> or whatever, and you go, oh, well, that looks interesting. And, <laughs> and off you toodle. <laughs> And you're just blown away again by the, well, for me, by the people and the culture and the way they live their lives. And I, I just love it. And I love, um, uh, I went to Jordan, Syria once. I absolutely loved Syria. And it was just a couple of years before it all went pear-shaped. And, you know, it was just tragic, tragic. Mm. I'd love to go back. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because all the places you've mentioned, they are not on the standard sort of uh, Australian tourist map or English tourist map or Western tourist map necessarily. And yet everything you've spoken about is all about the people, the, the culture, the everyday. It's not about the, the big thing like the Eiffel Tower or the Colosseum or those sorts of things. It seems like the appeal for you is absolutely the connection to people. Yeah. And I... I do love the Eiffel Tower and I love the Colosseum and I love, I know, I don't know, whatever, you know, you see it. Well, for example, the Taj Mahal, you know, when I went to the Taj Mahal, you step through the, um, all these entrances and there it is. And I went, oh my goodness. And I cried. It was so yeah. beautiful. It was just so stunningly perfect. Yeah. And then, of course, they explain that it's mathematically the most perfect building in the world. And you go, well, there you go. There's something about maths after all. 
<laughs> I love it. But I also love about India, yeah, the colour and watching the people. And mm. so I think, yeah, it's definitely the people, first of all, and the culture and the way they live their lives. And then on top of that, you get these stunning things that are either man-made and perfect or yeah. natural yeah and I think that for me when I'm in different places and I've had those situations as well where I find myself just welling up mm. because of the beauty and it can be a natural environment um, and I remember there was a particular basilica in Rome that's not on the tourist track and we happened to just come across it down a little side street and um, and it's got this really dark um, blue painted ceiling like a night sky with um, stars and whatever there was nobody in it apart from David and I and he wasn't that interested and I was literally like welling up at the beauty that not just obviously nature can create but humans can create when we want to um and I think maybe maybe it's when you're on holiday I don't know maybe you have a different mindset but I think there's so much beauty so much to be in awe of around us in people in nature and sometimes it's easy for us to miss those on the day-to-day yeah definitely Definitely. And that whole sort of, you know, like it comes at you when you least expect it. Yeah. And and I love that when you're just standing there and all of a sudden you go, oh, oh, you know, and it can be the tiniest thing. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's reveling in life, I guess, isn't it? It's noticing the beauty. Yes. And isn't that the most important thing to open your eyes to what's out there? Yeah. Too often the news is going to try and and smash us with the not so good stuff. And yet there's so much amazing stuff out there. Of course. Of course. I mean, it's hardly going to sell papers that the people (laughs) in Turkmenistan are nice. True, true. Now, talking of coming back to Vietnam, I do want to talk more about that because I know it's one of your favourite spots and I know it's more than just the travel because you've done some great work over the years and you do a lot of work from a not-for-profit perspective, etc. So tell us more about that, of what you've done, but also what does it give back to you? Um, Anytime you go and do voluntary work, and I've done a lot in um, Vietnam, um, the, the Georgian one was actually also voluntary, except we did get paid for it. But that's that's Georgia, you know. So anyway, uh, Vietnam, the first time I went, I was on a, um, a voluntary basis. I was utterly amazed at how much I learned from that mm. and completely humbled by it. So I kept going back um, and I've kind of uh, hooked up with... A, an organization. Do you want me to tell you about that? Yeah, please. So about Lifestart Foundation, which is run by the most amazing women in Melbourne. um, And it provides uh, sponsorships, educational sponsorships for young people who come from disadvantaged backgrounds. So if you flew into Ho Chi Minh or wherever, you would see all the skyscrapers and the luxury shops and all that stuff and you wouldn't really realize that in central Vietnam there are still people affected by Agent Orange there are still young people and I've met a lot of them who are born with really bad defects as a a result of that so of course that just (laughs) 
just yes. broke my heart, you know. Um, and there is an immense amount of poverty because many, many people in the, the country parts live by agriculture. Um, and they don't have a lot. So anyway, if you want to have a decent education in a country like Vietnam, you don't just attend school in order to get ahead. You also need to have extra classes in the subjects that you shine in. So the educational sponsorships that Lifestart provides um, pay for everything for students who show promise. And by the way, they go through a really rigorous interview before they're taken on by Lifestart and find a sponsor. Um, but they are provided with everything they need for an education, like all their pencils, books, textbooks, everything, uh, the extra classes, their uniform, sometimes. Uh, so with climate change, especially in central Vietnam, there is a lot of typhoons happening and flooding way more frequently and for a longer period mm. than previously. And of course, the houses, some of the houses are very badly built. So Lifestart will assist to rebuild houses. They'll provide um, packs like, you know, uh, washing powder, shampoo, all of that stuff when everything's washed away. And, you know, there, there's a lot of really good things that they provide. Um, as regards my part in it, I... Uh, I started off with them by, they used to have a shop in Hoi An where they sold the most beautiful stuff, much of which was handmade by people who were affected by Agent Orange. So they were uh, in wheelchairs or whatever, and they made beautiful stuff and they sold it in the shop. And the girls that worked there, Karen said, oh, we need someone to teach them selling skills. <laughs> And customer service, who would have known that I went, oh, yes. <laughs> remember those good old days? I was going to say, remember that you see loads of training in customer service and sales and how to do the features and benefits. I love it. <laughs> Still doing it. Anyway, so I went there a couple of, I went back and forward doing it quite a few times. And then um, Karen decided to close the shop and focus more on just, other stuff so um and one of the reasons she closed it was it was always flooding when the <laughs> rains came so um now i teach english and i always taught english anyway to them so i teach english and i also edit letters to so every uh, twice a year all the students who are sponsored write thank you letters to their sponsor saying where they're at what they're doing blah 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 they're written in vietnamese sent yes. to the lifestar headquarters they're then translated into english by the women girls that work there and then they send them to me and there's another lady in england who then does a final edit correcting grammar vocabulary whatever and then sends them back so it's quite a lengthy program process and there's about 80 or 90 wow. of them twice a year so that has kept me really busy the last few months <laughs> um, that must be so lovely and inspiring to read though 
sometimes I will sit here and be in tears, just completely blown away by how disadvantaged some people are yeah. and how grateful they are for an education. Do you know, we've kind of lost that a little bit. And yes. Because we all have it. Yeah, you're absolutely right, because I know people who are so blasé and disrespectful of an education. Yeah. And yet, to your point, there are so many people who still don't even have the the basics around education and knowledge. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. And, yes, yeah, so, yeah, that's what, where was that? That's what I do. <laughs> so, just out of interest, because obviously everything that I sort of like to think about is how do we be the best we can be? You're, you've had, I think, a re- very uh, interesting career. You've seen, uh, not necessarily like you say, you're not interested now in the sort of the high-flying career, but the making a difference, the exploring of the world, the connecting of the world, etc. So from an overall well-being perspective, what do you do to look after your well-being, both on a a day-to-day, what I think of as subjective well-being, the stuff you do every day to keep you well, keep you happy, and also that meaningful component, which you may have already covered. So for myself, I go to the gym as often as possible. I try to go three or four times a week um, just because I'm at an age where I need to build up my (laughs) muscles. How's that working with the broken wrist? Honestly, I think my tuck shot lady arms are coming back. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, well, yeah, I'm doing a lot of glutes. (laughs) You need that for climbing the mountains. So that's I know, I know. So I do that, try to do it three or four times a week. Um, I walk everywhere. So a year and a half ago, we moved from the suburbs into Glebe in Sydney city centre or outskirts of the city and so I walk everywhere <clears throat> there's some beautiful walking around here and I mean you, can, you kind of think oh I'm in the city so it's just all traffic and you know but out of my window are the most beautiful trees it's quiet and there are so many parks and the harbours down the end of Glee Point Road and you know, we used to work there. Oh I know, it just made me think that's where we first met, wasn't it? Glee Point yeah. Road in the really dodgy green building. Yes, that's <laughs> <right>. still there. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's very beautiful. And I go out and I look at the trees and it's the trees especially that just get me. I think they're so beautiful and they're always there. And I've, if I'm feeling a bit... Ugh, then trees are the things that will just bring me back to being in the present Mm. and happy and joyful. Yeah. And I just want to pick up on that, Jill, because, again, it's a really interesting thing for me is um, obviously you've had challenges in your life. You've had difficulties. Everybody has. Uh, You know, you can't go through life without having some grief, sadness, anxiety, stress, pressure, whatever it happens to be. Um, And yet you've just highlighted one of the things that the research tells us over and over again is that actually it's the little things. It's our mindset. You could look out the window and see the trees and go, oh, can't see anything out here. The trees are in the way. Or you can go, wow. 
look how amazing this is because I'm the same like oh, <laughs> the um, dawn chorus starts here so oh. I, I like to sleep with my door open for the bedroom yes and um, the dawn chorus starts at quarter past five and I love it because I can hear the trees and I can hear birds and I can hear the ocean. That's all I can hear. And I could lay in bed going, oh, for goodness sake, I need earplugs. Or I can go, well, what an amazing start to the day. Yeah, it's beautiful. And when I was staying, I was staying in um, a village in uh, Wiltshire for about a week when I was over in the UK this year. And it was... It was next to the Kennet and Avon Canal. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's absolutely beautiful. And every morning at four o'clock, the doves started cooing and the blackbirds and thrushes started singing. And it was just beautiful. Yeah. It was like, I miss that sound here because they're a wee bit more raucous. In a <laughs> Yes, understandably, we do have some raucous ones here as well, especially yeah. koalas actually at night. I'm not sure what they get up to, but they can be quite raucous. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I, I know about you, because I've felt it over the last few years, and hopefully our listeners are really hearing, is... Um, I always, if we if we talk about positive leadership, we talk about energizers, people who are positive energizers, negative energizers, et cetera. And one of the things I always know is when I leave your company, I always feel more energized. There is something, I don't do, I, I love you. I, I just think I, I don't see you very often, but I, I love what you bring to my life, the, the, the experiences you've had. But what I really love, and you've just demonstrated it quite beautifully, is your ability, even when the, not so good stuff happens to know that there are the small things the small things about people all those stories you told us about the guy with the pomegranate juice or the listening to the trees yeah. or whatever you they're little things where does that come from from you as in were you always this way or where did you get this mindset around being able to see the joy find the good in the little oh what an interesting question <laughs> I've never really thought about it. I, um, I, well, mum and dad were avid walkers. They loved the countryside. And they were also people who had lots of different interests and who <clears throat> loved birds, they especially loved birds. Um, they would take do you know when you're a, an adolescent and your parents drag you out for walks and you go oh mom I want to go <laughs> but honestly I it must have been that that planted in me that appreciation of being out and also their interest in showing me things mm. you know like um, I always remember mum's excitement at seeing a golden oriole in Gloucestershire. At <laughs> <laughs> the time you thought, whoa. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and as I've got older, I've just and, and took up walking. I took up walking and um, trekking and all that probably 20 odd years ago. And since then, I've grown to appreciate and love it so much. And through COVID, uh, I went up to the Blue Mountains every month for walks. 
um, apart from the big lockdown, but every month I went up to Blue Mountains and did a walk with this group to different places. And honestly, it kept me, it gave me something to look forward to. It made me feel wonderful, kept me fit. I mean, why wouldn't you do it, Sue? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I guess also you learn that if you if you don't notice the things around you, well, you're missing such a big chunk of yeah. what the world has to offer. Mm. And again, it's interesting you say that because for our Lemosu listeners, either our members where we've had live sessions and also our podcast listeners, it often comes back to curiosity, to noticing. We've yeah. had so many of our experts who talk about the importance of curiosity because it makes you open to what could be, to possibilities, to seeing new things, the art of noticing the new. And I can see yeah. and, and hear that in you. And I know from our various joints, jaunts to the ballet over the years, which have not obviously happened since I've moved up here. I remember sometimes there'd be a break and you and I'd both look at each other with like glassy eyes because it was so beautiful. And it's I almost know. like, oh, I can't believe how beautiful the costumes or the, the scenery or whatever you are, the music. Oh, but I guess it's, Again, perception. Are you looking for the beauty? Are you looking for the joy? Or are you just there because you have to go? I, what a waste of spending money if you're just going because you feel it's going to improve your mind. Well, it's actually not ever going to improve your mind unless you open your mind to the beauty of it. Yeah. Isn't that the point of art, you know? Yeah. So speaking of which, because again, one of the things that I find amazing, um, and we just spoke about this sort of offline, is um, since you have been sort of not doing as much from a work perspective and just earning so you can travel, you have also done some really cool things, I think, uh, being somebody who loves learning and growth and whatever you, is you will go off somewhere and do a week and immerse yourself in Shakespeare or poetry or those sorts of things just because not to gain a qualification or to get a promotion or anything, but just for interest. How did that come about? And again, what have you gained from doing those immersive weeks? Um, well, how did it come about? Well, a few years ago, I decided I was going to go and see every single Shakespeare play that he'd ever written because I didn't know them and I felt I was lacking something if I didn't know them. So. <laughs> So I went to lots of Shakespeare plays and then um, I found out about Cambridge University Summer School, which quite a lot of Australians do attend. So they run a summer school, I think, over six weeks from July to the start of August. And they did. Um, so I attended that for two weeks and studied two, two Shakespeare plays, one in the morning, one in the afternoon for one week and then two different ones for the following week. And it just opened my eyes to the depth of the beauty and all of that stuff, you know, like Shakespeare just gave me more information and made it more enjoyable to mm. go along to the plays and more uh, critical, I don't mean negatively, but just able to make more judgment about whether it was a good or a bad, or you know. And then from there, I met, I met um, another person who told me about the Living Shakespeare courses, which are run in Stratford-on-Avon. And I've attended a lot of them and they're fabulous. You go to the Royal Shakespeare Company and you watch three Shakespeare plays. Oh, heaven. 
in the RSC in Stratford and then you discuss them and then the actors come along and talk about it. It's like, it's just brilliant. I love your enthusiasm. Question. <laughs> there have been so many people you kind of made to study Shakespeare at school. And then, of course, years later, you're going back and immersing yourself. And I know you've done various things to do with poetry and literature and various yeah. other things, yeah. um, which, again, strikes me of just that constant desire to be curious, to, to learn, uh, which is amazing. Yeah, I think when I was a, a spotty adolescent, you know, I was in love with Dylan Thomas and um, people like that, you know, and I used to read poetry. I would have been an emo, except it wasn't around then. <laughs> poetry and all that. And now that, I, you know, my family's all grown up and I've got time, I've gone back to it um, and I absolutely love it. I, you know, the literature, um, plays, there, there's something else that reduced me to tears. So it's, can I just tell you one thing? I know I'm going over my time, but so this year I did a summer school in Marlborough and we were studying a book of poems, uh, what, one of which was um, Seamus Heaney. I don't know if you're familiar with them. If not, look them up. Anyway, so in this, there was only four of us in the class and the um, instructor who was fabulous would get each of us to read the poem. And she said to me, oh, Jill, I know you love Seamus Heaney, you read this one. And I started reading it and I got to about line three and I just choked up. I couldn't, you know, it is the most beautiful poem. Can't remember the name. But that's no but good. How are we going to read it? I don't know it where is it? Oh, my poetry books are downstairs. Sorry. It's the one about his brother dying. Okay. I'll have to look at it. I'm making a note so I can look it up. And I could not read that poem because I was just totally choked up. And you know, it's like we were saying before, it just comes on you mm. with the beauty of the language or the beauty of the landscape or the man-made thing, you know, and yeah. Yeah, and I do know what you mean, because I have to admit, I'm not particularly into poetry, but um, sometimes there's the beauty of a sentence. Yes. Um, and I have to say, Stephen Fry is amazing at constructing sentences. Yes, yes. And sometimes I will hear or read a sentence. And I'm like, wow. Wouldn't it be lovely to be able to construct those words in that sort of combination? So I do understand yeah. what you mean. I am going to look him up now. <laughs> so final thoughts and questions as we sort of bring it to a close. Um, you, you, as I say, you've got a huge amount of experience in different areas. You've explored many different areas. You have this endless thirst for knowledge, curiosity, exploration. Um, what's your advice to living a flourishing life? Open your eyes to what's around you. Do work, voluntary work. Do something that you feel passionate about. Um, that for no money, just do it because you feel passionate about, you know, whether it's refugees or disadvantaged people or saving the planet, your koalas, whatever it is, do something that you can wholly give yourself to. Um, and you will learn way more than the people that you're helping. 
Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I always think. Um, open your eyes. What else? What else? Did I say open your eyes to what's around? Yeah. Never accept the never accept that the what you read is true, especially in the newspapers. Never accept any of that stuff because it's there to sell newspapers. And and you know, we know there's so much more. Mm -hmm. You know, the light, the world is not the front page of today's newspaper. Mm. The world is people and and their fabulousness. That is <laughs> yeah, I love the famous uni poem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that you've said that because I uh, have a phrase I actually um, copyrighted uh, a while ago or did as a registered train trademark. Um, and I did a keynote on it in uh, Iceland uh, back in June called wow. the future the future is human because I'm an absolute firm believer that yes, human beings have got ourselves into some pickles along the way, but human beings will be the things that get us out of these things if we just focus on the good things, the humanity, the, the kindness, the compassion, the amazingness of humans. So you've just brought that to life fabulously with your own energy and also the stories that you've shared and your complete openness and acceptance of the love of people, culture, those sorts of things, wherever you are in the world. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome, Sue. And thank you for speaking to me. It's been lovely. <laughs> it has been lovely. And everybody, those of you listening, I hope you've enjoyed it. As you know, sometimes Learn With Sue is very science and evidence-based, and sometimes it's really looking at conversations and exploring what makes us tick, what makes the world worth living in, and what makes the us or life worth living. So thank you all for listening. I hope you've enjoyed uh, eavesdropping on Jill and I and our conversation, because I've loved it. And and for more conversations with myself, with other colleagues and frolics along the way, you can continue listening to our Walk and Talk uh, podcast. If you do want to learn more, we also have live events with other experts where we focus on a particular uh, topic in well-being, where there's courses on the portal, all sorts of things in our Learn With Sue members forum. So if you do want to consider becoming a member of our Learn With Sue, check out learnwithsue.com.au. If not, I will see you here again on another Walk, walk and talk podcast very very soon thanks everybody thanks jill you're welcome thank you sue